Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What really drives workplace equity and inclusion beyond strategies and mere systems? Well, my guest today is the wonderful and the amazing Tara J. Frank, who has written a brand new book called The Waymakers, which is a best-selling book now as well. The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity with Competence and Confidence. The truth is, all historically excluded persons who have broken through to greater levels of professional belonging and achievement have succeeded not by policy and systems change alone, but because of leaders who chose to remove barriers, open doors, and guide them towards their goals. The bottom line, someone made a way for them. And many of you, doesn't matter what stage of life you are at at the moment, someone before you would have made a way for you to be where you are currently today. And using amazing case studies and stories, data, everything, and Tara is an amazing storyteller, uh, she outlines in her new book and during this conversation how leaders with power and position can clear the path to workplace equity for all. And I'm sure that each and every one of us, we can become waymakers for the next generation of people too. I think that is the most profound and one of the most admirable things that anyone can ever do is make a way or set a path for someone else to walk on. And, you know, I I think that that is just honestly incredible. 
Before founding her culture and leadership consultancy, Tara J. Frank spent 20 years at Hallmark Cards, where she served in multiple executive roles, including Vice President of Creative Writing and Editorial, Vice President of Business Innovation, Vice President of Multicultural Strategy, and many, many others. And her brand new book, which is out right now for all of you to go and get a copy, The Waymakers, Clearing the Path to Workplace Equity and Competence and Confidence. You can go and get that right now. Tara is just a bright spark in this this world. I loved speaking with her and I know you guys are going to get so much from her. Go and help support Tara and her amazing work by getting a copy of her new book. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review over and have a podcast too. It just goes a long way in supporting this show so we can bring on more amazing people like Tara. And my friends, also don't forget that my very first book is only four months away from launching into the world. Very, very exciting. It's called The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down. You can pre-order a copy right now. Link will be in the show notes below for you as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to make a way as we journey into the story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other the incredible and the wonderful Tara J. Frank. Thank you so much, Jay. I am really honored to be here and I look forward to having this conversation with you. I know you are an excellent conversationalist, so I'm excited. Now I'm going to have to, now I have to live up to that uh, hype, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Drats. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm grateful for your time, Tara. I've been looking forward to this conversation quite a bit. Before we dive into your backstory, I know you've got quite a bit of experience that we can dive further into in just a moment. Before we do that, my very first question for you is a question that I love starting off all my conversations with is what does success look like for you? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And it's funny that you ask me that because that's a question I ask every single client of mine <laughs> every time we start any engagement. Um, because I think it's important for us to have a really clear picture of what great looks like for us. For me, as I think about the Waymakers book and everything I've been working on over the last several years, success looks like workplace cultures where every single person, no matter where they come from or who they are, feels they have an equal opportunity to succeed, to fulfill their aspirations, to chase their dreams and actually reach them. Uh, so that's what I'm in this for. That's the long game. Why do you ask that question to all the people that you first meet? Why that question in particular? Because everybody has a different goal uh, for their culture, depending on where they're starting from, depending on the nature of their business, right? What they're trying to achieve, who their stakeholders are. And I really just believe that we need to be very specific uh, and nuanced, if you will, about how we move forward strategically. And I, and I think you can't really move forward strategically uh, and expect to be successful if you don't have a really clear picture of where you're going. I totally agree with that. Do you find that when you initially ask a question and someone gives their answer, that over the course of time that you're working with them, their original answer changes? 
Yeah, it does sometimes change because the reality, and I'm sure you can understand this, the reality is some people really haven't given much thought to their definition of success. So if I ask the question, what does success look like to you? And they've not spent much time considering that, they often feel pressure to answer in the moment. And when we answer in the moment, you know, we share the words and phrases and and, uh, pictures that sound good to us at that time. But the journey teaches us everything, doesn't it? And that's important too, to be agile, I believe, to be responsive to the external stimulus, you know, to things that might happen or new information, new people. Um, And that's the fun part for me, quite honestly. If someone was to say to you, Tara, I don't know what in the world my definition of success is or would even be to start off with, how would you navigate that sort of conversation with them to help them actually find their own unique version of success? Yeah, I love this question. I often try to make this really accessible for people. So what I usually say is I'm going to ask you to describe what success looks like. And what I don't want is a beautifully articulated statement. What I'm not looking for is a vision that you feel is so well you know, framed that you can put it on your website or on a billboard. What I really want from you is tell me the words, the feelings, right? The energy uh, that you would be experiencing if you were successful. So I sometimes say to them, let's go forward two, three, four years. Everything's working exactly the way you hope it will. What's actually happening in the environment right now? How does it feel? What are the words that come to mind? What are people doing? And so I instead just ask them to describe a reality that they might subconsciously hope for, but haven't yet attained. Is there a right or wrong version of success, you think? That's a hard question, honestly. I I think it depends. I mean, for me, if your version, if your definition of success is rooted in love, is rooted in kindness, is rooted in truth, although we know there are various versions of that these days, um, is rooted in commonality, shared humanity, right, hope, Um, then I don't think there's a wrong definition of it. I I do believe that success is uh, is personal, um, sometimes organizational, and I think if it is rooted in the, the Uh, healthy, right, healthy things, then it'll normally do good for the world and for the people uh, in your circle. How did you discover your own version of success? Was it like this catalyst moment for you somewhere? Or has, as I asked before, has it changed for you over the course of your life and over different stages and, and why? It has definitely changed. I mean, and I did have a catalyst moment. You know, as you mentioned, I worked at Hallmark Cards for 21 years. To be honest, there was a time in my professional career where I thought I was going to retire from Hallmark. That that was my plan. You know, I was working toward being a corporate officer. Everything I was doing and learning and engaging in uh, was toward that ultimate goal. 
And so that's just what I thought was going to happen. I was going to get up and go to work every day and do my very best and try to make a difference, you know, in the lives of my team members and by extension, my partners and consumers. Um, and ultimately, I would find myself, you know, in the C-suite, having a bigger influence, making a bigger impact. And then I would hit a date where I would just decide I'm going to go open a Portuguese bakery. Um, but there was a time, you know, in that trajectory where I got divorced. So I'm actually remarried. We have a, a blended family. I got divorced. I reconnected with someone that I knew in college. We decided that we wanted to blend our families and build a life together. And that moment was a critical turning point for me because I realized at that time that the career I had expected to have uh, that I planned to have was not really going to manifest in exactly that way. Um, Hallmark is a very community oriented company. It's family owned, um, really committed to and entrenched in Kansas City. And I was going to have to move to Dallas. So several things were kind of shifting under my feet. And it was honestly, Jay, I think one of the most um, unsettling and also liberating times in my professional life. Because before that point, I thought about my professional life as a confluence of skills and experiences. And what I had to do at that point was reimagine the way that I would impact the world professionally. I had to step back and say, this has to be about purpose. This has to be about impact. And instead of leading with what I know and what I've done, I have to lead now with what I see and what I believe and then align my skills and my experiences with that. So it, it caused me to have to kind of invert, right, the approach that I was living by professionally and completely reimagine it. And I learned so much about myself in that process, right? I learned that I am indeed uh, very agile. I learned that I am indeed purpose-driven um, and passion-fueled. I learned that I am indeed way more expansive um, uh, of a contributor than I had given myself credit for. Did you know where or what you're going to do when you decided to leave Hallmark? I had a sense of it. You know, I stayed at Hallmark for a couple of years while I was in transition, right? So I wrote my first book. I was still with the company. I started to do a little bit of speaking here and there. I was still with the company. Um, I was building community on LinkedIn. You know, people, you mentioned LinkedIn when we were just getting to know each other a little bit. And I have a, a really vibrant community there. And sometimes people say, how did you build your LinkedIn community so fast? And I laugh because I've been with these people, so many of them for over a decade. So, you know, I started building community and building my network broader than what I had, which was very insular. It was mostly people in my company and in my industry. So I was setting myself up, if that makes sense, uh, to be able to do something different and do something new. I didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest, but I felt like it was going to include helping other people fulfill their own professional purposes, because that's what I had always been passionate about. Even when I was leading product development, I was as passionate about the people as I was about the product. Kind of reminds me of 2019. So I was in real estate for a period of time and 
I knew it was time for me to leave. I didn't know what I was going to do after that. And it was like this interesting transition period between me starting this and then being poached to, well, not really poached, but being asked to basically climb the corporate ladder, so to speak, like in a, a big corporate office, corporate job. I knew I would have done really, really well at it. But it's that like I had this gut feeling inside me. I don't know if you had the same gut feeling, Tara, but that gut feeling inside me to to say, I I don't feel like this is the right path for me to step forward into. But for some reason, this path is, and it doesn't seem like the the clearest, like I don't know what's going to happen next, so to speak. It's not the most secure one, but I'm going to take it anyway and see where it goes. Did you have that sort of feeling at all when you stepped officially you stepped out? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I could have stayed at Hallmark longer if I wanted to, but my career had always, I talk about this a little bit in the book, my career had always been about impact. And I felt like if I had stayed, it would have been to just stay connected, to stay with the family. I loved the people. I felt like I was part of the family. I had, I grew up there. I started as an intern. So if I stayed, it would have been to just stay connected to the family. But I believe my impact would not have been as great as it had been in the past. And so for me, part of that journey was realizing my career has always been about impact. And I'm not ready to walk away from that. You know, I need to have an impact and I think I can have an even bigger impact. And the other part of it was recognizing that my my gifts, my abilities, my my vision, right? My my purposes were not really tied to one place or time. That I was transcendent as were, right, my my purposes and my my passions and even my skills, quite frankly. So yeah, I I had that moment where I was kind of like, okay, if I'm ever going to take that leap of faith, if I'm ever going to bet on myself, this is the time to do it. Uh, And this is the way to do it, which is kind of crazy for me because people ask me all the time, how long have you known you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And I tell them I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Like that was not ever my goal. I didn't grow up saying I want to own my own business. I literally thought I was going to retire from that corporation. And I would have been completely happy to do that, except for the fact that the circumstances changed. You said that you actually, you wrote a book in that three-year period, a three-year transition period. What was that book about? Yeah, it was called Say Yes, A Woman's Guide to Advancing Her Professional Purpose. And it was really, you know, the kind of funny story behind it, if you don't mind me telling it, it, I was known at Hallmark for being like everybody's mentor. So anytime anyone would ask me to mentor them, I would say yes. I didn't even think about it. I just said yes. Figured I would figure it out on the back end. But I got to a point where I literally did not have the capacity to say yes to anyone else, to take on any more mentors. So I wrote that book as a proxy for myself. You know, I started just giving it to people to say, hey, if we were in a mentoring relationship, everything I would tell you or advise you to do is in this book. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what it was for. I like that. Say yes. I, I, I'm finding 
Yeah, Byron Katie, she said to me one time during our conversation, she goes, say yes to life. And I'm like, what if I don't want to? (laughs) (laughs) I can't say yes to everything, can I? And she goes, you can. You just make it happen, make it so. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Well, Um, it's funny you say that because people ask me afterwards, so are we still saying yes to everything? I said, well, if I were to write another book right now, it'd probably be called Say No. Uh, there was certainly a period of time where a saying yes to everything can get you a little bit sideways, right? Or distracted, I'll say, um, from, from your goals. So yeah. balance is key. 100% it is. How do you know now really what to say yes to and what to say no to? Because I can imagine it would be hard with so many great opportunities coming your way. Yes, Um Two, well, first of all, I'm still learning, but I'm so much better than I was. And there were really two factors there. So quick little story. Um, I am a member of the Potter's House Church in Dallas, Texas, oh. where Bishop T.D. Jakes is a senior pastor. And almost a decade ago, I was sitting in the sanctuary and he starts telling this story. He said, you know, people ask me all the time. Uh, how do you do all the things you do? How do you do movies and books and this TV show and senior pastor and these plays and this podcast? I mean, you know, and he said, people say, how do you do all these different things? And and he answered, I don't do all these different things. I do one thing. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, you know, I change people's lives through the power of communication. It was something like that. And when he essentially Um, kind of converged all of these seemingly disparate bodies of work into one aligned point of view, I realized that that was me and that I needed to step back and think about all the different things I was doing, figure out which ones of them truly did align behind my purpose and what was kind of outside of that, you know, what things were sticking out, if you will, um, get rid of those things that were not in alignment and really give myself the freedom to move forward in alignment with all those other things. Even if they seemed like a lot in my mind and heart, they were connected. So there are two pieces to the question that you asked me. One is, is it aligned with my purpose? It is, is it aligned with my work? And the other is, does it give me energy or does it take my energy away? In these days, If it sucks the energy from me, I don't do it because there's so much work for me to do in this world that I cannot do it drained. That's wise. And just so you know, I love TD Jakes, the whole family. I've had a conversation with his daughter, Sarah Jakes and and Tori. I watched it. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to that one. Um, yeah, they're just awesome people. And and now I can ask you this question because I wasn't sure if I could ask you it. <laughs> so you opened the door for me for this one. Uh, but when in your life, when you least expected God to show up in a big way that he did and a challenge your perspective of who he is, I asked a similar question to Sarah. Yeah, I love this question. I can't necessarily say that the biggest moment he showed up in my life Um, was one where I did not expect God to show up. I I believed he could show up. 
I just didn't feel like it was fast enough. <laughs> so, um, and We're I in a stage say, like that now, don't worry. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'd have to say it's probably when I was going through that period between my first marriage and the, you know, the, the marriage I'm in now that I wanted to be in a family you know, people ask me all the time, would you get married again? Because, you know, divorce is a very difficult process and it's it's very hurtful for everybody involved. And so people were like, do you want to get married again? Why would you get married again? And I was like, no, I absolutely want to get married again. Um, I want to be in a family. I want to reestablish family for myself and for my children. It is a core value of mine. It's important to me. Um, and so I didn't really know how long you know, that might take, I wasn't, I could not be 100% sure, as you can imagine that it would manifest. But when I reconnected with my now husband, um, and things just kind of clicked like this, and I, I was telling uh, one of my friends just yesterday, that uh, the first time we kind of got back together in person, we went out to dinner, and I was just saying, well, you know, maybe we should take our time, and maybe we should wait, you know, da, 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 da. And he put out his hand and he said, I just want you to take a leap of faith with me. And I had this moment where I was like, is that you, Lord? Like, you know, that's literally what I was thinking. Is that you? Um, and I said, OK. And so it's been 12 years and my life is completely different uh, from what it was. I am happy and fulfilled. And I always say there's a song by Jill Scott. Um, of course, I'm not going to remember the exact name of it now because, you know, that's how life would have it. But um, she basically has a line in there that says, you put me back together again. And that's how this journey has made me feel. And I know because of all the things that had to go right, right, there was a move and a job change and a blending, like all the things that had to go right. Um, I know that was God every single step of the way. I needed to hear that because we're going through a stage of life at the moment in our family, like that we need, like God's got to be on the throne consistently. Like the faith element needs to be there. It's like a massive, massive situation in the family, big, big transition. Um, and so I needed to, to hear that like as a good reminder uh, so thank you so much for sharing that, that Tara. And so someday mean, I'll write a book about that. That's how, uh, that's how clearly God showed up in almost every situation and at almost every turn. So when I write that book, Jay, I'm going to reach back out. <laughs> Please do. And I'd love to read that book. Please write it. <laughs> I think we, we all need a book like that. So I'm all for it. Uh, does that mean that God is the ultimate way maker in your opinion? I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, it's, it's funny because when I started writing the book, which was very focused on leadership, right? Leaders inside corporate environments who I believed, if I back up a little bit, you know, the reason I wrote the book is because I was doing this work with these CEOs and C-suite teams. And I noticed they had three things in common. You know, one is most of them wanted to do the right thing. Two, many didn't know what the right thing was. 
And three, they all felt a little unsure about stepping into it, meaning they didn't want to get it wrong, insult, offend, bring reputational risk upon themselves. And so I wanted to create a tool that would guide those people, you know, who were interested and committed to the work, right? And help them do it well and help them do it with both that competence and that confidence. But I also recognized, and this is where the Waymaker piece came in, that every black and brown person I knew who made it to the top of their game in corporate America had done so not only because of systems change, right? And systems is really important part of this equation, but not only because of systems change, but because somebody made a way for them. Somebody opened a door and removed a barrier on purpose, right? Someone ushered them through to greater levels of contribution. And those way makers, those people who decided they would make it their business to open a door and help somebody else be successful is the, the ultimate difference maker. And I realized that what we really need here is more way makers. We need more leaders to get off the fence, to stop observing, hoping things were different, waiting and watching for something to shake out and to recognize that they are the difference, right? They are the thing that needs to be shaken out. Um, and if they can uh, embrace that, if they can own that both responsibility and that privilege, I believe we actually start to make real progress here. Can everyone be a waymaker? I do believe that everyone can be a waymaker because the thing is, we all need ways made in different areas of our lives. We all need ways made at different levels of contribution. And so somebody who gives you an encouraging word at just the right moment when you need it made a way for you in that moment to see the next day through a lens of possibility. That to me is a way maker as well as someone who says, I'm going to give you this job of president, you know, <laughs> so that you can go lead this 5,000 person organization into the future. Um, there are many ways to be made. And, and so for me, there are many opportunities to be a way maker. Who was the most, aside from God, who was the most impactful waymaker in your life? Yeah, this is a really good question. I have so many, honestly, Jay, but I will try. You all, whenever say people say the most, you know, I try to abide by that, but like I'm a little a bit of a rule breaker when it comes to it. I will say um, at different points in my journey, I've had different waymakers. So one of them from the time I was very young, I always say my mother gave me roots and my father gave me wings. He believed I could do everything, but my mother kept me grounded. They were my way makers when I was young. Spelman College, my Spelman College sisterhood made a way for me to accept myself as I was, right? I was an awkward child. I was the ugly duckling in school. You know, no boys liked me. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Um, so in college, they made a way for me to accept myself as I was, you know, the my my college uh, when I started Hallmark, there was one woman who saw a spark in me and fought for me to be hired into Hallmark, which became a 21 year career. Her name was Kim Carter. She was a way maker then. I also worked with Dr. Maya Angelou for 10 years when I was at Hallmark. We had a greeting card line and a gift line uh, rooted in her poetry. And I served essentially as her editor, you know, for the majority of that time and watching her work, watching her engage, being um, at her feet for so many in the moment, 
you know, teachable uh, lessons changed me, I think, and helped me think a whole lot broader about what was possible for me as a word person, as an idea person, and honestly, as a human being who believes in the potential of people. Um, so that was huge for me. You know, it's, I, I mean, I could go on, but honestly, there are so many, it's hard for me to say there was just one or one was the most compelling. So anything that Maya Angelou said to you that you remember that sort of made a tremendous impact apart from, I know she probably, everything she probably said, <laughs> but was yes, there right. anything that, every time she I, opened her mouth, but, um, but the answer is yes. So we were in, um, it was Malibu or Santa Monica. I think it was Santa Monica. We were there for a meeting and there were about 12 people who were coming to this meeting and she was sitting in the center of the table. We were waiting on two more guests. I had initially been standing across from her intending to take that seat, but two more people came in and they needed a seat. And so they started to walk over and I went to move uh, to offer them my seat. And she caught my eyes with hers and essentially like started lowering her eyes and her head, telling me with her eyes to sit down. So I kind of caught it and I was like following, you know, as I <laughs> sat in the seat and she leaned in. Uh, and so I leaned in and she said, uh, you are as worthy of that seat as anyone else. Do not ever give up your seat for anyone. As you can imagine, uh, I never forgot that. And no one of us should. No, jaw dropping moment. Yeah. I, I would have been, been all struck. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was powerful because she, when she got ready to teach, which was almost all the time, honestly, she, you know, people talk about Dr. Maya Angelou as a poet and that she was, they talk about her as a writer and that she was, they talk about her as a thinker and that she was, they talk about her as a connector and an artist and that she was. But I really believe when I reflect on my time with her, that what she was more than anything was a teacher. She was a teacher. And I learned a lot um, from my relationship with her. And I will always, always uh, be grateful for that. I mean, what a privilege and honor to be able to be taught by Maya Angelou. I mean, of all, of all the teachers in the world, like, <laughs> wow, that is, yeah. that is, that is incredible. Yeah. And she believed, as I do, you know, one of the pieces of writing that we use to kind of anchor the Hallmark line was called The Human Family, the poem. And it said, I note the obvious differences between each sort and type, but we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. And honestly, Jay, that poem, that piece of writing, which I kind of identified as the anchor piece to that product line, that piece of writing fuels my work today. We are so divided. We are so pained um, by what we have and what we don't have, by what we wish we had. Uh, we are afraid of losing everything, you know, including our status, but also our sanity. Uh, and I do believe that the path forward, the healing path forward is through connectedness. Do I think it's easy? No. Do I think it is necessary? Absolutely, yes. And everywhere and every time I have the opportunity to facilitate it, to encourage it, uh, 
that's what I feel I was put on this earth to do. I am a bridge builder. Um, that is the work I believe God has called me to. That's the work I will continue uh, to try to do. You're a bridge maker and you're a way maker, hundred percent. Like you're you're both in one, I think. And for those people that want to know more about you, Tara, your book, your amazing work, where do you want them to get it? I've got a couple more questions for you, but but where do you want people to to get a copy of the book? Yeah. So, you know, I know people have their preferred booksellers. You can, you can pre-order it or order it, you know, if this will be out after May 3rd, uh, wherever books are sold, you can go to wearethewaymakers.com slash book. And we have several options there. Uh, I'm also really active on LinkedIn. I always encourage people to connect with me there because that's where I share my best thinking. Uh, and that's where it's like hot, you know, the hot takes are hot um, on LinkedIn and then I'm also at tarajfrank.com and people can certainly reach out there if they are interested in speaking or my leadership development work or any of that good stuff. I love following on LinkedIn. So people, yeah, believe you me, she's great to follow there. Uh, so I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you, Tara, where to get a copy of the book. So I wanted to ask you this question because I, I feel like it is a question that, you might like, and I, I enjoy asking it actually, but what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Ooh, what do I love most about myself? I love that I am creative um, and I love that I am so purpose-driven. You know, I, I wake up every day filled with energy, honestly, about what it looks like and feels like to make a way for other people, you know, to, to achieve their highest professional aspirations. That's what drives me. I want everybody to have that opportunity to win and to make a difference on their workplace. And then by extension of the world. And so it, it's like amazing that the energy that fuels me, I never get tired of it. Um, I'm never over it. I never don't want to do it. You know, it just keeps me alive and all of my creative energy and my creative gifts, quite frankly, I just kind of use to fuel uh, that process forward. So I love that about me. I love that I never get tired of trying new things and uh, figuring out new ways to pull people into my orbit, you know, and to help them be successful. And then what I love about my story is it is it's exactly that it is a story. My my career is not, has not been a straight line. I've had highs, you know, I've had personal lows um, that I had to really recover from quite honestly, uh, do a little bit of reconstituting, you know, if that makes sense. It's filled with, I'll say, um, a lot of hope, uh, a lot of vision, a lot of resilience and belief just belief that if I keep pushing, you know, if I keep dreaming, if I keep doing everything that I can do uh, on, on any given day, that good things will happen and I will leave the world better than I found it, which is what I pray for, honestly. Love that answer. What would you say was the most challenging part of you writing this book? The most challenging part of me writing this book is knowing that 
you cannot possibly address every single concern, every single need, you know, uh, meet every person's expectations in one book about equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Everyone comes from a little bit of a different perspective. People have their own unique experiences. And so when anyone picks up a book like this, they clearly hope to see themselves reflected in it. I wanted every single person who picked it up to see themselves reflected in it. I don't know that I was able to achieve that. I don't know how reasonable that is. Um, so that was hard for me because I didn't want to leave anyone out. I didn't want to leave a perspective or an experience out. What I tried to do, though, is really key into what is universal about our experience, is really key into the shared humanity uh, that cuts across all of it and share with people frames, right, perspectives, ideas, concepts that I believe uh, were transferable. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what people think and how it lands. But I, I did my very best at that. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of your new book. I think it is a great concept and a definitely a needed book in this day and age because you did mention the divide. And I think that I'm hopeful that the divide just grows ever so smaller until there is no divide anymore. But it kind of, I don't know what your feeling is on this, Tara, but I feel like the divide is is stretching out further and further. And I guess my question for you is like, what's your hope for the future? How do we mend or heal that divide? Yeah, it's like the million dollar question. Um, I think some of what we're feeling and why it's so acute right now is there is, you know, there's a group of people who certainly uh, they have enjoyed, you know, advantage. They have enjoyed uh, the the benefits, right, of of the nation and everything that comes along with that. And I think they're afraid um, of losing power, losing position, uh, losing that advantage. And that's human. That's natural. I think that contingent is kind of holding on like a vice grip. And so that's painful, not only for people on the other side, but it's also whether they realize it or not painful for them. Because it's really when we think about opportunity and possibility, the scarcity mindset, it, I don't really believe it actually applies. I think that is a frame that we are so committed to because that's how we're conditioned. But I believe there's more opportunity and more abundance um, than we can really see when we're so afraid of losing something. The flip of that is in any major change, you're always going to have about 20 percent percent of the people on the front end, like, let's go, let's change 20% ish on the back, like, you know, don't touch my stuff. And then the majority of people in the middle who maybe aren't that sure how to engage, they're watching, they're waiting, they're doing the let's see thing. And the Waymakers, honestly, Jay, is an invitation to those people. It's an invitation to those people to get off the fence and into the equity arena. And my promise to them is that I will do my best in the book to equip them and inspire them to do it well uh, and to do it with some assurance. I don't want to be a fence sitter because fence sitter is number one, it's boring. Number two, you don't learn. And number three, you don't grow. And I don't believe God created us to be fence sitters. 
I know it's it's scary. It's a scary world, scary environments out there. There's a lot of fear that is associated with getting off the fence, getting off what's comfortable. Yeah. But stepping out into the unknown is where paths open up. It's where opportunities are amazing and endless. Sure, you might have to go through a little bit of pain along the way. The pain is inevitable. It's right. like how I've always seen it these days is it's how you show up. It's like, are you going to show up in a good way or a negative way that is going to just cause you to be stuck and become an unfenceder again, or are you okay. going to move forward in life? Like that choice is ultimately up to you. So I think in, in this society that we are living in, I think you're right. I think we just need better leaders to get off the fence because I, I, I feel like they're there. They're just, just sitting and yeah. waiting. Well, this is a hard thing, you know, especially when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, this is a hard thing to get wrong. Mm. It's a scary thing to get wrong. So I, I get why people are sitting on the fence. You know, that to me is why the Waymakers book is so important because we need them. You know, I always say if black and brown people could change their workplace experience on their own, on our own, we would have done it by now. It's not for lack of trying but we can't do it on our own because we're still not the majority in these situations and in these organizations. We need the fence sitters to get off the fence. And so if they understood how critical their role is, you know, and that by watching and waiting, they're actually perpetuating that status quo or perpetuating that harm, they might feel a little bit more courageous about doing it. I think some people feel that they're not affecting anything by sitting on the fence. They may not be helping, but they're also not hurting. And I would say that's not exactly true. I think whenever we watch something happen that is potentially harmful and we don't, you know, uh, kind of, we don't access our better angels uh, to step in and do what we can do, we're allowing that to continue and, and to be exacerbated. So we have a role to play. We can play it. I believe we should play it. Uh, and I'm hoping that the Waymakers book helps us do exactly that. I hope so too. And I hope that people get a copy of the book. <laughs> they read I hope so it, too. It. And um, yeah, because it is very much a needed book in today's day and age. I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it for as long as I possibly can. Uh, but my final question for you, Tara, this is my all-time favorite question. I mean, if you got to the end of my conversation with Sarah, you know it's coming. So it's kind of a bit unfair. You've had a little bit of time to prepare, but who knows? I don't remember. I've slept a lot since then. So you're good. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's good to hear. But this is my all-time favorite question. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I actually don't want the film to show me at all. Uh, if the film shows all the human beings who were changed, who were unleashed uh, because of my work, that's the film I want to see. It's a beautiful send-off message for people to picture. 
<laughs> Tara, thank you so much for your time today, your story, your wisdom, your advice, and for making a way for people to move forward with the best intentions, becoming better leaders, to make a greater impact in this world that we all desperately need. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for making a way for me to join you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.